welcome everybody to another episode of Metas and Mutants. I am Super Guy, and today's topic is the 2022 comic movie slate and my thoughts on them. I do briefly touch on the TV series or streaming series, but specifically only the ones that are tied directly to the DCU and MCU. This means I do not touch on Arrowverse stuff or anything like that, or else we would be here all day. So first up, I am going to touch on the DC movies. A relatively light slate for 2022. We are starting off with The Batman, which honestly, just a fantastic movie in my opinion. And those of you who've been listening for a while, or know me in real life, I am not a big Batman fan. But this was, hands down, the best Batman movie I have seen in a long time. I do plan on doing an episode dedicated to this movie later, so I don't want to say too much. But, it's... Honestly... It's tough, it's between this and one other movie for my top comic movies of 2022. And that's high praise given that it's also Batman, so I was already kinda biased against it. It did keep Batman's naturally gritty and darker tones, but in a twist from a lot of other live-action Batman's movies and shows combined... It showed Batman what could best be described as a year one feel to him. He's still figuring himself out. He hasn't learned everything to look for. And throughout the movie, a good chunk of the time, he's just half a step behind and only half as prepared as he would like to be. And it just made it such a fresh take because... It's not the established Batman who knows everything, can figure everything out super quick, always has a plan for everything. Half the time he's winging it because he hasn't learned yet. He's been doing this for like a year, if that, at this point. He's young, he's still naive, and he's learning what to do. But he's trying, and it's a nice touch. Other DC movie is not. I have discussed this one before with a friend of the show, SPJ, and that is Black Adam. Overall, it's not a bad movie, but I wouldn't say it's a good movie. Nothing really stood out. In any way, like, I've, I have my complaints such as trying to jam too much into it in terms of what genre it is. It felt a little forced at times, and instead of letting the story dictate the genre, they tried to force the genres into the story. One of the other downsides to Black Adam is, ultimately, it suffered from being promoted for Eight years. It was announced in 2014. Came out in 2022. I'll give it to The Rock. 
Dwayne Johnson is probably the only guy who could, or, well, not the only guy, but one of the few guys who could reliably stay in the shape needed to play the character. So I'll give him credit for that, but unfortunately, eight years of hype and build-up and even before it was released, being told, this is what's going to reboot the DC Universe, this is going to be the one that sets the tone going forward. Myself, and I imagine many others who saw it, kind of let that anticipation and hype impact our reactions to it, and it unfortunately did not live up to it. So that's... That's probably the biggest thing holding it back, is it did not live up to the hype. Marvel has three movies that came out for the MCU this year. So, we are going to go in order for this one. Doctor Strange 2, The Multiverse of Madness. And as much as it is a sequel to Doctor Strange, it really felt more like a sequel to... Strange, or Strange's story after No Way Home, and a sequel to Wanda's story from WandaVision. It was well-threaded, well-done. I enjoyed the movie quite thoroughly. It, I was glad to see multiple Sam Raimi classic horror tropes in there. And I'm a huge fan of this Evil Dead series, so seeing... Stuff like that throughout it was a real nice touch for me. It felt like there was some good homage to that, some good throwbacks, good Easter eggs that didn't ruin the movie if you wouldn't catch them, but if you caught them, it just made you like, yeah, this is definitely a Sam Raimi movie, and I love it in all its cheesy glory. He did introduce more horror elements than we've seen in pretty much any MCU movie, which was a nice touch. But again, Sam Raimi's, a lot of his horror elements are in the kind of campy, cheesy way, which is endearing to me, because I, again, I'm a huge fan of his Evil Dead series. But it, it worked. It worked for being within the Marvel constraints in terms of, you know, still being PG-13 rather than rated R or anything like that. And alongside shows like Loki and What If, it really helped set up the multiverse, especially being the first movie to truly heavily dive in and explore it. No Way Home had references to it and brought in characters from the other Spider-Man universe movies but this truly mentioned and explored other universes themselves gave you the idea of variants and alternate versions of characters and had some good fan service in the process the introduction of america chavez and how they treated her character was fantastic especially being you know she was a gay character and it, she wasn't treated any differently than any other character. It wasn't being gay was not the prominent character 
point or prominent development of her character. It wasn't a thing. It was just who she was, and her character still allowed her to be herself. They handled it well, and I quite approve of it. And it also, by introducing her, really helps set up the idea of a potential Young Avengers team in the future. Next up is Thor Love and Thunder. Another movie discussed with SPJ, as well as Tombstone. It was done a little differently because, unfortunately, real life happens. We all couldn't get on the same page on the same day. But our thoughts are out there. We have discussed this as well. And a movie, not bad. It didn't hold the magic of Ragnarok. Some of it is Taika's humor not necessarily landing in quite the same way as it did in Ragnarok. Possibly because it was a much darker tone of movie, and the humor felt forced. Since those discussions that we had with SPJ, rumors have come out that part of the humorous aspects and comedy aspects of it was actually pushed by the studio is as a you know studio interference and weren't initially there. Now, studio interference hasn't really been a huge problem in the MCU, but it has happened before and isn't out of the question. So, if that did happen, it would explain why some of it felt so forced even for Taika's odd sense of humor. Overall, I didn't hate it, but much like Black Adam, it doesn't really stand out. Though there are a few moments that I just absolutely loved, such as the goats. I will never not, you know, pop for those screaming goats. And I do understand the complaints of it being one of the worst comic movies of the year. The worst, depending according to some people, but I do not think it was the worst of the year, and we'll come up on that one later. The third Marvel Cinematic Universe movie to come out is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. This is the movie that goes up there with The Batman for movie of the year to me. Now... It's It's been out for a little bit now. It's already on streaming services, everything else. You can own it now. But now there are some reports saying that money was taken out of the Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania budget to further expand the CGI budget for Wakanda Forever. And while maybe taking it out of Ant-Man and Wasp was not the greatest idea you can say that the money was well used in Wakanda. It was another fantastically done CGI piece. They explored the underwater. They made it such a good environment. It was so nice to see. It was it was unique and it was different, especially from what we saw with Aquaman movie. You don't want to have it be too similar because then it's kind of like seeing the same thing and 
with superhero fatigue being a thing that some people are just tired of seeing it, having it be too similar would just really bring that up and expound that. So it was nice to see they did it in such a different way. And obviously how they handled Chadwick Boseman's death was so well done. It was actually a storyline throughout the movie on how they deal with grief and the loss of T'Challa. And you could tell for the actors, it was almost a way for them to let out their grief and deal with that of Chadwick Boseman himself. It also introduced us to a few more important characters for the future. You had Riri Williams, also known as Ironheart, who is a standout in a supporting role throughout the film. And we will be getting more of her in the MCU, so I cannot wait. We saw the creation of the Midnight Angels, which is almost like a mech suit flying division of the Dora Milaje, which is relatively recent in the comics, but so well done, definitely works well within the MCU and the confines that they do, especially with the idea of power suits becoming more common. And then there was how they handled Namor. The change to his backstory was fantastic. How they set him up as the ruler of Talokan instead of Atlantis, but they still kept him true to his character and still true to his origins. If you just changed it to Talokan instead of Atlantis like they did, it was just amazing, like chef's kiss. And how they also integrated it to being more of a Mayan culture rather than a Greek culture like Atlantis traditionally is described as. They also dealt with themes of morality throughout the movie, especially with characters like Shuri, who it was more of, again, in grief of losing her brother, saw more a more of a dilemma. Should she be more like T'Challa? Or should she be more like her uncle Killmonger? Especially if it involves coming to the defense of Wakanda itself. And how they handled it, and they turned that throughout the story, it impacted it various parts. The flashbacks, they kept it going, but it moved forward each time. Every time she was doing something, you were seeing especially since they couldn't use Chadwick Boseman for obvious reasons, how they had Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger appear repeatedly and say, like, would your brother do this? No, because he didn't have what it takes to be strong. You're more like me than you are like him. Why don't you just finish the job? Stuff like that. And it showed that she is very much a different person from her brother, but how she shows mercy as well shows how different she is from Killmonger. 
And it's nice because you see two very, very different aspects of the character and how it impacted her development. The next movie we're going to talk about is... Well, it was a movie made in 2022. That's right, boys and girls. It's Morbin time. Morbius was... The best thing to come out of Morbius were the endless memes and the fact that Sony executives thought the memes meant it was super popular and gave it a second theatrical release that actively bombed and cost them millions. That is just such an amazing blunder that could, it really could only happen in 2022. And it happened with Morbius. And it's fantastic. And I promise you, if you release it a third time, we'll see it for real this time. We were all busy that weekend, right? Now, there were a couple moments in the film that... There were a couple funny lines that I, I had a good chuckle at. The action scenes themselves were fairly well done. It gets a lot of hate. And I do think some of it is unwarranted. But by no stretch of the imagination is it a good movie. It is on a good day with an open mind and being extremely lenient. And you're just in a good mood and everything else. It's an okay movie. In all those things. If, if it's just like a normal day and you go to see a movie. It's like yeah this is Morbius. You're going to be disappointed. It's unfortunate but. That's how it goes sometimes. They can't all be bangers. What I will say though. Is despite feeling extremely generic. In almost every way. And how it failed to really gain a lot of momentum throughout the movie one of the things I did like was the fact that unlike Multiverse of Madness with Sam Raimi the horror elements were actually kind of like a serious horror element and if they tried to stick with that instead of and like lean into the horror aspects of it rather than kind of just wishy-washy on the fence of whether it should be a horror film or not and if they just leaned into it it actually could have been a good movie I also would have changed the villain a little bit up instead of being another guy who took the same serum as him but decided he did want to feed on blood and went with say actual vampires who Morbius does regularly fight especially since they don't consider him a real vampire and try to kill him because of that again which would have involved leaning into the horror aspect of the film it could have been better it could have potentially been good unfortunately we got Morbius but we will always have Morbin time. 
Now, the next one I'm going to talk about is some places will actually list it as a movie, but it's technically a television special. And that was Disney Plus's Werewolf by Night. And honestly, I enjoyed it. It was almost like a light-hearted pulp horror, if that makes any sense. Like, it doesn't lean into the horror side too much, but it is, it's almost like a Hitchcockian horror movie. Has a lot of Hitchcockian vibes and elements throughout the film, including the being black and white predominantly. And it almost looked like it was on a re- like one of those 50s, 60s black and whites. It was on a reel. You saw the splashes throughout the scene where like the reels didn't quite connect fully or was wearing out. It added a bit of... It added something special to it, I think. It's not something I think you could do full movies with, but doing a television special, like maybe making a Halloween special in that style... It would work, and it would work well, especially if you stuck with the same themes. And Werewolf by Night introduced us to a few characters who were excellent protagonists, such as Werewolf by Night himself, Elsa Bloodstone, and Man-Thing. It was... I enjoyed it. There was there was some camp. It was, it was like a pulp horror comic. And... It was a throwback to the 30s and 40s when that kind of thing was fairly common. And I enjoyed it, and it's a fantastic hour of television. And now we are on to the TV shows. So here we are going to do the opposite of the movies, and we're going to start with Marvel. First up was Moon Knight. Fantastic look at one of my favorite characters, as anybody who's listened to me talk about him knows. I think they did him justice, which is good because a big worry was how they were going to treat the fact that he has dissociative identity disorder. A lot of places would have treated it as kind of like a joke. And a lot of movies and shows do treat mental illnesses like a joke or more for comedy effect. It was done as a serious aspect. Not to say that there weren't comedic things that happened. But it was treated as a very serious thing throughout the film. And that was a nice touch. And it honestly added depth to the character for those who don't know him. The action scenes were great. Like I said, there was a lot of comedy throughout it. I enjoyed it. And it had a lot of elements that reminded me, in a very positive way, of the 1999 Brendan Fraser version of The Mummy. It had a lot of elements through that. And and I say that in the best way, because I loved that movie as well. But it had those aspects throughout it, and it was it was great. I enjoyed it, and I hope everyone else did too, because I would love to see that get a season two. 
or spread into the movies or something. After that, we had Miss Marvel, which I personally think did a great job at introducing Kamala Khan to a lot of fans who may not have known her. They changed her origins a bit because in the comics she is an inhuman. But in the MCU she's now a mutant, making her the first official mutant in the MCU. Not though she's not the first mutant, it's been implied, which would go back to Black Widow's Ursa Major. But she's the first officially named mutant in the MCU. So that's that's a big change, but it's nice. They kept the core of her character, including her struggles with finding a superhero to life, regular life balance, her school and friends, and how important her religion and family is to her. How they did that, how they added it in, how they made her dad like such a lovable character especially like him just being all excited dressed up as the hulk it was i love that scene it was a great way to handle the character and it probably made her a lot of fans because she is a newer character and while she's had a decent run in comics on both teams and solo she it's one of those things where not a lot of people would have read her if they haven't been keeping up to date with comics recently so this, this was a nice way to introduce her to a lot of people who might not know her, and a great way to introduce her to people who only watch the shows and movies. And finally, for the Marvel movie slate, is probably the most controversial Disney Plus show for the MCU, She-Hulk Attorney at Law. It, I will say it has been praised by comic book writer Dan Slott, who has actually written the most She-Hulk comics out of any comic book writer. He is the predominant She-Hulk writer. And he straight up said it was the most true-to-comic show or movie out there. So... That should tell you that, because those of us who do value still keeping the core of the characters, obviously you have to change up the storylines, because you can't always translate everything from page to big screen, but you also want it to be different enough that it's not just reading word for word from a comic, because then what's the point of reading the comic, or watching the movie, if you know exactly how everything's going to go? But they kept the core of the character, and the fact that the main writer of it says that should give you a good choice. If you like her in the comics, you'll probably like the show. I did think it was a good show, but I will say it's probably the worst of the MCU and DCU shows released this year. So again, doesn't include Arrowverse seasons and other shows like that. And while it was advertised initially as a legal comedy, I feel like outside of the first episode, really, or maybe it was the second episode, it really doesn't live up to the 
legal comedy aspect. It's more of a slice-of-life comedy series, which does include that person's work, in this case a law firm. And for everyone who hated the scene where she was twerking with Megan Thee Stallion and said it's out of character, remember, She-Hulk literally had such intense sex with someone that it caused physical damage to the Avengers Tower. So twerking with someone that they like, in character, deal with it. And I also loved that scene. It was just nice. It was fun. You could tell they were all having a good time. And that really helps bring something to it. It's hard to be having a bad time when what you're watching to relax and unwind. You could tell they're having a good time too. And finally, we are on to the only DC Universe show on this list, because it's the only one that's tied to the actual DCU, not Arrowverse, is Peacemaker. And yes, I am aware Arrowverse has done a little multiverse shenanigans and crossover, but I'm still not, it's predominantly not DCU movie it's not main universe stuff or anything that's going to tie in heavily to the main universe so with that i honestly think it was a brilliant adaptation of the peacemaker character peace by any means necessary no matter how many men women and children i have to kill to get there and that was definitely shown throughout the movie or throughout the series the supporting cast, including the villain White Dragon, the guy who appeared in the Suicide Squad, John Economos, who kind of got relegated to this team because he hit Amanda Waller in the back of the head with a sort of clubbed her and knocked her unconscious, and Vigilante, combined with the exploration of Peacemaker's character, it became one of the top shows of the year and for anything. It was such a big hit throughout the year that it was, like I said, I'd argue one of the top of the year and easily the top comic book show of the year. And if the DC Universe continues to put shows on like this, it bodes well for the future. Now... I will say that as good as John Cena was as Peacemaker, there were multiple times I really felt Vigilante actually stole the show, including the prison scene where he's confronting White Dragon and a couple of white supremacists in the prison. If you haven't seen it, YouTube it because it is 100% worth the watch. And if you're undecided on whether you should watch the series, check that out, because I do think you should watch the series. And pretty much everyone I know who loves comics loves this series as well. And with that, we are done this episode. Peace out. Geek responsibly, stay safe. Peace, peace.